0: Well, it's good to see so many uh, here this morning. It's a large crowd, even though the weather again seems like every Sunday seems like it's raining or storming or or something, but it is good to have everybody here. We have been in the book of First Peter for quite some time, and, and those of you who are regulars, you're tired of hearing this, but uh, oh well. Uh, we've been looking at it as a traveler's guide to a strange land. Uh, I've told you before when, when I go visit a city, uh, sometime and I'll be there a while. Or when we went to London, I'd get these travel books that would have all the things in it and tell me, you know, where you wanted to go and how to get there and what time things were open and how much it cost and all these kinds of things, little tips to, uh, make the uh, trip more enjoyable. And what Peter is doing here is he is writing a, a traveler's guide tips not just to make our time enjoyable, but to help us survive our time here on earth. And we've talked about, and he's used words like we are foreigners. We are aliens. Sometimes those words are translated pilgrims or sojourners. And that's what we are in the land in which we live. We sing this song, these songs. We love it. This world is not my home. We, we love that song, don't we? But do we really feel that way? You know, ah, this world is not my home. Sometimes we just really get comfortable in this world. Here we are, but straying pilgrims. The song also says. Today we're going to look at one of the most familiar passages in First Peter. In First Peter, chapter five, in verses eight and nine, Peter writes: "Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil." prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. This is the third time that Peter has coupled self-control and something else together. We saw that in chapter 1 and verse 13 when he says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. And again in chapter 4 and verse 7 he said, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled. So in this little letter, three times he has compared self-control and he has coupled it with preparing our minds, being clear-minded and here he says be alert. Alert is a a military term. And it has to do with keeping watch, keeping guard. And we understand that being vil, vil, vigilant. Vigilant, being prepared, watching out, keeping guard. You know, the amber alerts You know, I'm sure that there have been times... I'm sure the Amber Alert is a good thing. I'm sure that it has been successful in helping in certain situations. But at 2 o'clock in the morning, when the phone goes off for an Amber Alert in Corpus Christi, Texas, I'm thinking, really? But that whole idea is to make you think about it. If it says Amber Alert, silver, you know... Ford Fiesta. Do they even make a Fiesta anymore? I don't think so. Anyway, Wow, that's what came to my mind. If you're driving down the road, you'd never think about, it. you know, you see a silver Ford Fiesta, you wouldn't think about it except you'd go, wow, is that an antique? So maybe you would notice. But anyway, but now if the Amber Alert kid come out and you happen to see a silver Ford Fiesta, you'd go, wait a minute. That may be, you know, what this is all about. So we understand the idea of being alert. You know, the worst thing that could happen to to a uh, soldier standing guard is to be caught asleep, not paying attention. And that's what this word alert means. You're there for a reason. Prepare yourself. Watch out. Be alert. He describes the devil as our enemy. Now, as Christians, we... It, We gotta make sure that we kinda make a distinction. You know, Jesus tells us, and the Bible tells us that we ought to love our enemies. That we ought to pray for our enemies. And I told you before we talked about this that in my lifetime, I really can't recall, to be honest with you, I can't recall any person being what I would really call an enemy. Now I'm talking personally. I'm not talking about another nation or or something. But I mean individually, personally. Now there have been people I know didn't like me. There have been people I didn't like. We didn't care for each other. We might not have gotten along. But, but I wouldn't necessarily categorize them as my enemy. Now maybe you have had, literally, enemies in your life. But Jesus comes along and says, love your enemy. Pray for your enemy. And here he says... The devil, your enemy. This is a whole different level. When Jesus calls Satan, when Jesus calls the devil our enemy, he is talking about our mortal enemy. Our eternal enemy. He is talking about the one who is a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's kind of... Scary, isn't it? Or at least it it ought to be. So when Peter tells us, and his warning here, implies at least three things for us. You can come up with a lot more, but, but I came up for three this morning. First of all, we ought to respect him because he is dangerous. He is dangerous. People who work in dangerous professions, people who work with dangerous materials, hazardous materials as it were, In order for them to protect themselves, one of the first things they have to do is learn to respect whatever that material is. If you're working with radiation, you better understand how serious radiation is and radioactive materials. If you are an electrician and you work with electricity, you need to learn to respect electricity. I've told this before, but many of you wouldn't remember it. So I'll go ahead and tell it again. But between my freshman and sophomore year in college, I worked for Texas Power and Light that summer. And I split my time. Part of the time I, I would fill in for meter readers who were on vacation or whatever. And the other part of the time I worked in the warehouse. And what I did in the warehouse is when the, uh, the service crews would come in, you know, the guys that actually work lines and all those kinds of things. They would come in and they'd give me a request for parts or supplies. And I would go back in the warehouse and I would fill those orders for the different parts and supplies. I didn't understand what any of it was. But I could find it, you know. I, I knew where it was in the warehouse. And I'd bring them these things. I had no idea what they were. But there was one item that I was constantly filling. And that was rubber gloves. Those guys that work on those high-intensity lines, those high-power lines, they wear these great, big, thick rubber gloves. And then over the top of those rubber gloves, they wore their leather gloves. And, of course, those rubber gloves were there to insulate them from any electricity. And the guys would be coming in constantly. It seemed like someone would come in every day needing a new pair of rubber gloves. And I'm like, what are you doing? Are you eating these gloves? Why? Why? how can you go through so many pair of these rubber gloves and then one day they were having a demonstration it was a safety demonstration and all the the and it was mainly for the guys working on the lines but but we were required to go as well as if i was going to climb up a ladder and but anyway so i was there and what they demonstrated was the power of electricity and they took one of those rubber gloves and they put a hot dog in the finger of it. And they had a, a transformer there and they, they took a whatever and they art the electricity from the transformer to the finger of that rubber glove. You could see the electricity, you know. And then they pulled the hot dog out from the rubber glove and it was perfectly fine. Absolutely fine. Then they took a pin. I'm not talking a big pin, I'm talking a straight pin. And they poked one hole in the end of that rubber glove. And then they put the hot dog back in the finger. And then they arced that thing again. And they pulled that hot dog out, and it was burnt to a crisp. And I was like, You can have as many rubber gloves as you want. <laughs> But we have to learn to respect Satan. We have to understand that he is described in scripture as the serpent. He is described as the dragon. And in Ephesians chapter six, you will remember that Paul says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That is not something to be messed with. We should not be playing around with Satan. We should not be playing around with the devil. I think that's why in in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's such a prohibition against magic and sorcery and all those kinds of things. Stay away from all that kind of stuff. You don't want to get burnt. We might not like, we might not understand all of it. We might not, not really grasp it, but Satan has power in this world. Satan is here to destroy us. In Revelation, he's called just that. He is called the destroyer and he is seeking to destroy the lives and souls of human beings. You and I have seen it. We've seen just the physical destruction that sin and its consequences can bring on individuals and families and their lives. And that doesn't even begin to touch the eternal consequences. Satan is here. He wants to destroy our lives. He wants us to turn our lives upside down, make us miserable. But even worse than that, he wants to take us to hell with him. That's what he's that's what he's here for. That's his desire. He is roaming around seeking someone whom he may devour. He has great power. Not overwhelming power. But great power. He is real. He is not mythical. He is as real as God is real. You believe in God, you gotta believe in the devil. You believe in God, you gotta believe in Satan, and we do. You know, cartooning Satan up is a mistake. Little red figure with the horns on his head and a pitchfork and a and a pointy tail and and slap him on some canned meat, right? Something like that. Do I remember that right? Yeah, you know, deviled ham or something like that. I don't know. Oh, hey, he's so cute. Yeah. You know, uh, Ah, uh, playing right into Satan's hands. Playing right into his hands. If I can get them to think I'm not real, if I can get them to think I'm mystical, if I can get mythical, if I can get them to think that, you know, and, and just kind of play it up a little bit, boy, I got them right where I want them. We must protect ourselves and see him for who he is. Now, when Peter here describes Satan as a roaring lion, I got, I got the fiercest looking lion I could without being overly graphic. I had some other pictures that I really wanted to put up there. But we've got small children, so I did. not But for us in our culture, the threat of a roaring lion, it just doesn't hit home, does it? I mean, it really doesn't. At least not to me. The only lions I've ever seen, essentially, are in the zoo. And we've talked about this before. And when you see the lion in the zoo, 99.9% of the time, what are they doing? Sleeping. That's all they do. I don't know if, in all the times and years I have been to the zoo, that I have actually ever heard a roar, a roar, lion, a, a, a lion roar. Now maybe you have. I don't think I ever have. They're always just sit there. You wonder if they're dead until finally the tail just kind of flops, and that's pretty it for that's it for 30 minutes. You might as well go on because you know. Maybe in 30 minutes you get another tail flop. Yeah, but in our culture, in our world, the idea of a roaring lion just, just doesn't really touch home. I think of a lion, I think of the Wizard of Oz, you know? And the cowardly lion. Not much threat there. When I was a little kid there was a show, only older people will remember it. I think this was the name of the show, wasn't it? Clarence the Cross-Eyed Lion? Anybody remember that? Okay. You know, well, uh, Clarence was no threat. He couldn't even see where he was going. But the people to whom Peter is writing, across the ancient world, they understood lions as a threat. They didn't have to watch National Geographic or Animal Planet to envision the lion chasing down the gazelle and just ripping it apart they have seen it in real life, many of them. Many of them may have experienced it. So we must see him, Satan, for what he is, vicious, angry, ravenous. And we must recognize that we are the gazelles on the plain. We are the, the animals, the, the, the meat And the lion is lying in wait to take us down and devour us. So we must respect him because he is dangerous. Secondly, we must recognize him because he is clever. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that he masquerades as an angel of light. Whoa. You know, if he was just always looking like the devil... I can handle that. But he masquerades as an angel of light. In Ephesians 6, again, Paul talks about his schemes and his flaming arrows. Not only is Satan powerful, but Satan is clever. Satan is smart. He is intellectual. He will use whatever it takes to bring us down. He'll use whatever it takes to take you down. And what's going to take you down may not take me down, but he will use something different. There are fishermen out here of which I am not one. But I know enough about fishing to know you do not use the same bait for every different kind of fish. You're going catfish fishing. You use one kind of bait. You're going crappie fishing, use a different kind of bait. You're going bass fishing, use a different kind of bait. And from day to day, you may use different bait for the same fish. What you used yesterday for the bass may not be biting today, but you pick something. Don't I sound like I know what I'm doing? (laughs) Putting me a worm on a hook with a bobber, you know, that's about it. But Satan is the same way. The scheme that may be best to bring down Ronald may not work against me. So he's not going to use that against me. He's going to use something different. Something that he knows will affect me. Some of the things that he does, and I think this is one of the best he makes evil look good. I, I think that's like at the top of his list. You know, Paul talked about he had arrows, you know, these flaming arrows in his schemes. That's number one. Make evil look good. Because he is not going to win, Satan is never going to win, if he makes evil look evil. If he makes evil look bad. If he shows us the consequence to sin, not just the eternal consequence, but the the here and now consequence. If he shows us the here and now consequence, we're going to go, ooh. I don't want any part of that. But he doesn't show us that. He shows us how good it looks. How pleasurable it is. How good it feels for the moment. He said, oh, you don't want to miss out. And sometimes he'll he'll even get into our brains and and kind of talk to us like he did Eve, you know. Basically, when, when Eve is in the garden, Satan says... Did God really tell you not to eat of this fruit? He said, oh, yeah. And Satan said, you know why he did that? He only did that because he didn't want you to have any fun. Well, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's basically it. He don't want you to do that because then you'll be like him. But you don't want to miss out. And so we begin to think, well, you know, I'm missing out. God's just being a meanie. So I'm going to go ahead and do what I want to do, even though God says, don't do it because it looks so good. That's what temptation is. If it didn't look good, it wouldn't be tempting, would it? I'll just say Brussels sprouts, leave it at that. Most of you know what I'm talking about. The rest of you. Oh, well. Well, I'll tell you, I will never, ever, 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 never, never. Be tempted to be a glutton over Brussels sprouts. Not gonna happen. If I was dying of starvation on a deserted island and somebody dropped me a Brussels sprout, I'd just dig a hole and die. But now you drop me some Popeye's chicken. (laughs) And I will gorge myself to death. And Satan knows exactly what affects me and what affects you. And it may not necessarily be the same thing. He also lulls us into a false sense of security. I love those shows. On Animal Planet or whatever, or any of those other stations, you know, when when tame animals go wild, you know these crazy people who take on a a wild animal as a pet, and then the wild animal (gasps) goes wild. You know, the guy that has a huge anaconda as a pet. And all of a sudden the anaconda wraps itself around its neck and chokes him to death. Shocking. The person who has a tiger or a lion as a pet. And thinks, you know, it's just like a kitty cat. Until it rips them apart. But they're lulled into a false sense of security. One of the greatest sting operations... In the history of the United States Marshal Service. Happened in 1985 in Washington, D.C. In Washington, D.C., at that time, there were hundreds of fugitives from the law. People that had arrest warrants out for them. People who had skipped out on bail. And some of these were extremely dangerous, high-risk criminals, murderers. You know, we're talking right up there. And so the Marshals Department is trying to figure out how can we possibly catch these guys? Because if they see us coming, if they know we're coming, they're, they're going to hide. They're not going you know, we're not going to be able to just find out where they're living and bust down their front door. So they developed this. Some of you may have seen this on, on ESPN. They did a, a, a special on it. And this is in the heyday of the Redskins, you know, glory days. And tickets to football games, you just could not get tickets. So they created this incredible illusion that they were creating a brand new cable sports company to rival ESPN, which was the only one at that time. And as a promotion to the opening of this cable sports company, they sent out all these flyers saying that these people had won free tickets to the Washington Redskins football game. And they only sent it out to these criminals. And so it was the day of the football game and they were supposed to show up to the convention center across the street from the, from the football field. They're supposed to show up, say, at 8 o'clock in the morning or whatever. And there was going to be a big deal. And they were going to, you know, food and door prizes and things like that. And then they would be given these free tickets. And they could go across the street and go to the football game. Well, everybody involved was a U.S. marshal. They had cheerleaders dressed up. They were U.S. marshals. They had a, a chicken, you know, the, the chicken, you know, San Diego chicken looking thing. He was a U.S. marshal with a shotgun in his chicken suit. <laughs> and they had all these people with balloons and somebody would come in and they would show them their card. And they'd say, well, we need some proof of ID that you are, who you say you are. And, you know, and there'd be a wink and a nod. And this is this person. So they'd take them off. And when they'd get about 25 of them, they would take them in this big room. And a guy in tails and a top hat would get up and he would talk about, Oh, this is going to be a great new cable TV station. And you know, you are so lucky that you've received tickets to the uh, uh, Redskins game. And it gets even better because I got one more surprise for you. You're under arrest. And boom, 50 armed marshals bust in the door. They arrested more than a hundred top Fugitives that day. Without a shot being fired. Why? Because they'd been lulled into a false sense of security. First of all, they were tempted by what they enjoyed. Football tickets. And then they had it all clowned up and everything. And and you could just see the faces. As that man said, you're under arrest. And they just, so many of them just smiled. It was like, wow, that was pretty good. You got me. Some of them, as they're cuffed and being led onto the bus that was going to take them away to the correctional facility, were like, don't we still get to go to the game? (laughs) (laughs) They still didn't realize. And Satan will lull us. He may let us get away with a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, but then he, at some point in time, He's going to get us. He'll use even neutral or even good things to draw us away from our strength, to draw us away from God. He won't won't use necessarily everything that's bad. He can use good things in and of themselves. Could be our jobs. Could be our, our recreation, what we like to do. It could be people in our lives that... Are not bad in and of themselves, but he can use those things to draw us away from God. To draw us away from our community. He'll use our failures to make us feel hopeless. And he will even use God's word against us. One of the scariest things about the temptation of Jesus in the desert where Satan comes, he's been fasting 40 days and 40 nights, is that in part of that temptation, Satan quotes Scripture. Whoa! That's why, as I have said over and over and over again, it is not enough to just know that the Bible is God's Word. We have to know God's Word. We have to know it because he will go in there and he will misrepresent and misinterpret and do all these kinds of things. There will be people out there who will misuse God's word to lead us astray. And if all we know is, well, they're using the Bible, so it must be right. And we don't know any better. We are in trouble. So we have got to know God's word. That's why we must be alert. And thirdly, Peter says we must resist him. Because he can be defeated. Paul encourages us to put on the full armor of God. The belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. Shoes ready for battle with the gospel. The shield of faith. The helmet of salvation. Prayer. And the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. We have to know it. We have to be self-controlled he says here. We help so many times in my life. I can look back and I can see how I have helped Satan tempt me, how I have been complicit in my own temptation because I have done things and not been smart and allowed him so, so easily and so quickly to be drawn into sin and to temptation. We have to stay away from evil. We have to stay away from those things that are evil. Those things that, those things that we seriously consider to be harmful, we will stay away from. Again, I've told you, if it is ever reported that I fell off a cliff or off the balcony of a high-rise building you immediately start an FBI investigation. Because I am not going to get close enough to the cliff to fall off. I'm not going to get close enough to the balcony to fall off. So if I went off, something put me. If there was a great big out in, 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 in the yard, a great big snake pit, with a hundred rattlesnakes. You think I'm going anywhere near that pit? I'm not going anywhere. I'm not even curious enough to just want to get close enough to look down. No, 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 no. Because them things slither up, you know what I mean? They come up. I want no part of it. That was where Eve had her first problem. I think. The whole garden. One tree. Simple. Don't go anywhere near the tree. Just, just don't go anywhere near the tree. Just stay away from it. Don't go anywhere near the snake pit. Don't go anywhere near the edge of the cliff. But she'd walk by it. And she'd say, boy, that's some good looking fruit. Some good-looking fruit. You should walk by it some more. We need to stay away from those things that we know are evil. Don't begin to rationalize. Don't play games with God or with Satan, as it were. The lesser of two evils. Well, it's okay to do this because at least I'm not doing this. Parents, parents. A lot of times we fall into that trap with our children. Well, I'm going to go ahead and let them do this, even though I... Because there's so many other kids who are doing this, and at least they're not doing that. That's fine as long as this is okay. But if this is wrong, it's wrong. Doesn't matter if it's more wronger than that. That doesn't matter. It's not hurting anybody. It's a victimless sin. Boy, Satan would love for us to believe that, wouldn't he? There are no victimless sins. So we can't play those games with Satan. Stay with the pack. You watch the the, the lion, gazelle stuff on TV. Who do they target? That one gazelle that's lagging behind the rest of the pack. That one gazelle that may be le- weak. You know, if you see a lion attack a whole herd, they will turn on that lion and they will run that lion off. The lion can't get the whole herd, and the whole herd—I mean, mama, mama gazelles will come in and start getting—and and, but if they can get one away from the pack just a little bit, and they got him. That's why it's so important that we stay together. That we help one another. That we encourage each other. Stand firm, he says. In Ephesians 6, that, you know, whole, put on the whole armor of God four times. Paul says, stand. Stand firm. Stand your ground. And we must recognize our weakness. Be humble before God. We cannot defeat Satan. When I say he can be defeated, we cannot defeat him on our own. You may think you're the strongest, most spiritual person in the world, but you can't do it on your own. We withstand Satan because of God's power. Because of his armor that we put on. Because of what God does for us in our lives. James says it this way, Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Don't separate those two. Don't do a sermon on submit yourself to God and then another sermon on resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Smush them together. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. When we submit ourselves to God, then we can let his power Help us defeat Satan. Peter says, be self-controlled and alert. There is a roaring lion seeking to devour you. But we can stand firm. We can resist. We can overcome through Jesus Christ with God's mighty power. If we can help or encourage you in any way this morning, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing.
1: We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com, or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, Seven five six three eight. Her meeting times are Sunday mornings at nine thirty a.m. for Bible class and ten thirty a.m. for worship service. Sunday evening at six p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at six thirty p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.